Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Do you know a student getting ready to go to college? Or are you looking at going back to school yourself? The Woodward Hines Education Foundation and the Get to College program help more Mississippians get to and through college to get certificates and degrees that lead to meaningful employment. They offer free college planning advice, including hands-on FAFSA completion assistance through in-person or virtual appointments. Visit gettocollege.org to learn more. Good morning. It's 8.30 on Friday, February 10th. I'm Desiree Frazier, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, legislation to create a special court jurisdiction in the capital city invites legal questions. Then, at the Super Bowl this weekend, Mississippi will have more representation than any other state, and some are from places you wouldn't expect. Plus, a new documentary on the integration of Provine High School in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. A Mississippi House bill backed by the white Republican supermajority is raising legal questions over the equal protection of Jackson's black residents. House Bill 1020 will create a new court in part of Jackson with judges and prosecutors who would be appointed rather than elected. Matt Steffi, professor at Mississippi College School of Law, says the proposed legislation could invite challenges under the 14th Amendment. He joins our Michael Guidry to examine those legal questions and potential challenges the proposed legislation could face if passed. If if there's one truism that the state has abided by is that we elect everyone, that we have a tradition of electing separately more people within the executive branch at the statewide level than any other place I'm familiar with. We separately elect, you know, the head of the agriculture department, the agricultural commissioner. Um, We elect every judge. We elect every DA, except here. And this district looks very much like a circuit court. Like it does walk like a a circuit court. It talks like a circuit court. It quacks like a circuit court. But these will be the only judges in the state with the broad jurisdiction that they'll have and the power that they'll have. The only DAs in the state with the power that they have that are not then elected as required by the Mississippi Constitution. So this is a unique kind of category of one, a court district that's unique in its own type. The fact that the Supreme Court Chief Justice is going to appoint what amounts to general jurisdiction judges, I think is unprecedented. Uh, The fact that the Attorney General um, will now appoint these, uh, it it aggregates power to the legislative and, I mean, the executive and judicial branches of government and away from the voters. Uh, 
throughout most of my time here, it's the sort of thing that would have drawn the ire of citizens everywhere because we have a deeply entrenched tradition of fidelity to voting. That if that's what we do. We elect people. Uh, we vote. Uh, which raises the question, why is it okay to disenfranchise these voters? You, you brought up the Chief Justice appointing the judges. Uh, the part of the provisions that the, the these judges will possess all the qualifications required by law of circuit and chancery judges. So what does qualify uh, a circuit or chancery judge uh, in Mississippi? How does one qualify? And is there anything within those qualifications that could present themselves as complications uh, were this bill to go forward and, and this district were to be created by the legislature? Well, uh, the, the baseline qualifications are, aren't much. Uh, a person has to have five years of legal experience. Um, a, that's what the, the Constitution says. Statute requires a circuit judge be a resident of the district in which he or she serves. Um, but this is the circuit. I don't know whether a court would think that that particular provision applies, that statutory provision applies. But if that statutory provision were deemed to be one of the qualifications that this new statute uh, refers to, that it would have to be the person would have to live within this new particular district. The Constitution just requires that uh, a circuit or a chancery judge has to be a practicing lawyer for five years and at least 26 years old um, and five years a citizen of the state. So they're very minimal qualifications. Um, but there is a statutory qualification of residency within the district. Uh, whether this bill is intended to carry that forward or not is unclear to me, given some of the debate and rhetoric that accompanied the bill. And if that qualification doesn't carry over into this district, what you know, what complications could that uh, could that bring up? Well, then you would have uh, you might have judges who uh, from uh, another part of the state uh, sitting. Uh, on civil and criminal cases involving Jacksonian. Uh, and that, too, is against the very fabric of the system the state constitution sets up. Earlier you brought up um, this idea of disenfranchising voters um, through the creation of this judicial district. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so that brings up questions of of federal constitutionality. Are there questions regarding the 14th Amendment uh, that could be you know, applied to, to this district? Well, I think there potentially are. The most powerful one would be an uh, allegation that this district was drawn precisely to encompass the majority white parts of Jackson and precisely to exclude the parts of Jackson that are virtually all black, that if a person were to sit down and to try to draw a district around the, the, the majority white parts of Jackson, this is what that district would look like. Now, whether or not that was the intent in outlining this district, I can't say, because I can't know what's in another person's heart or mind. 
But if I drew something and it was pointed out to me that I have included virtually all the white uh, residents of Jackson and excluded the overwhelming majority of the black residents, I would take a long, hard look about changing the boundaries of that district because it looks like a racial gerrymander. But if a person were to sit down and try to gerrymander this on the basis of race, we would get an outcome that looks very much like this. Even if they had other purposes, it looks like a racial gerrymander. And that may be constitutionally problematic. Because there are potential equal protection questions, is it something that could invite action from the Department of Justice based on those those equal protection questions? It's possible. It's possible. Currently, um, if any litigation were to be filed against the state of Mississippi, one of its agencies, that litigation is filed in Hines County Chancery Court. Under this legislation and the creation of this new judicial district, uh, those would now go into the, the, the special court set up uh, within the Capital Complex Improvement District. Now, there are certainly moral questions that could be asked you know, or and ethical questions about should specially appointed judges and prosecutors uh, that are appointed by the judicial and executive branch uh, be managing any litigation that holds the the state of Mississippi accountable, but are there any other legal questions? Are there legal conflicts in creating a system that does that? Well, I think there are. I think the this all comes under the this the the the, the idea that I've mentioned, uh, where in what they call this is the CCID uh, special court, an inferior court that the legislature has the power to create. But in all other respects, it looks like a circuit and chancery uh, court in the capital city. And the fact that it is channeling cases to these appointed judges um, would seem to violate the spirit, if not the letter of the state constitution. If the Supreme Court or if any court were to determine that in reality, this is a circuit court. I don't care what you call it. It's not an inferior court because there isn't any court that it's inferior to. It's sitting there shoulder to shoulder as a circuit or chancery court. Then that is a problematic under the state constitution, uh, under the provisions about electing judges and district attorneys and about the structure it sets up separating the powers of government that it's a separation of powers problem um, under the state constitution. This reminds me of the racial gerrymandering that happened during the era of school desegregation, um, where states manipulated the law in any way to avoid their constitutional duty to integrate schools. You know, that this, the, the, the kind of manipulation of, long understood legal standards and norms. This has some features in common with that. Uh, one thing that strikes me is that the legislature only is, is only emboldened to do that if it believes that they will get a friendly hearing in the Mississippi Supreme Court and the Fifth Circuit. And lately, 
laws that have been challenged that sure look unconstitutional, um, like the felon disenfranchisement law, are somehow somehow the, the, the challenges fade when it gets to the Fifth Circuit. Um, the, the, the U.S. Supreme Court is an unlikely place to look for correction. So it seems to evidence a, a mindset that the legislature can push boundaries free of any real risk that the state or federal courts will push back. Well, it's fascinating. Matt Steffi, professor at the Mississippi College School of Law, thank you so much for your time and your insight. It's always my pleasure. Coming up at the Super Bowl this weekend, Mississippi will have more representation than any other state. And some are from places you wouldn't expect. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. This weekend, when the Philadelphia Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs take to the field for the Super Bowl, 20 players from Alabama, Louisiana, and Mississippi schools are rostered. Mississippi has more players in the game than any other state. And as MPB's Lacey Alexander reports for the Gulf States Newsroom, some are from places you wouldn't expect. Middle school students in Brandon, Mississippi, are headed to class, and Wyatt Rogers is packing up to head to the high school. He's the quarterback coach and says he is really looking forward to watching this weekend's Super Bowl. I'm just excited to watch him play. I mean, there's so many guys playing for Mississippi, you know. Rogers has been working with young athletes for over a decade, and one of his former players, Gardner Minshew, will be on professional football's biggest stage this Sunday. Minshew is the Philadelphia Eagles' backup quarterback, but the last time they won a Super Bowl, it was with their backup. And Rogers says he can see Minshew repeating history. And there is no question in my mind. If the stars align as to where we're in the fourth quarter of the game and it's a minute and a half left, he's got to drive, you know, 80 yards to get to get four points to win it, you, you can consider that done. I mean, I've just seen him do it too many times. This Sunday, Southern states will have a variety of players to root for when the Eagles and the Kansas City Chiefs take the field in the 57th Super Bowl. There are 20 players on both teams' active rosters who came from schools in Mississippi, Alabama, or Louisiana. That's not surprising given that this is SEC country, and most of those players came from powerhouse schools. But eight of them came from Mississippi universities, including Mississippi State University, where Jay Perry used to direct player development. Four defensive guys... In, the, in this game, what that means is we are tops in the nation, Mississippi State. We're pretty proud of that fact here in Starkville. He has fond memories of all four former Bulldogs. Three of them grew up in Mississippi. And you're looking at three completely different locations, Houston, Mississippi, Yazoo City, Mississippi, right here in Starkville. What it demonstrates is high school and junior college football in the state of Mississippi 
is dominant. Per capita, it is as good, if not better, than anywhere in the country. It's not just players from the mighty SEC that are headed to the Super Bowl this weekend. The Sanford Bulldogs in Birmingham will see a familiar face in James Bradbury, and Louisiana Tech will have three former players on the field. Tulane's all-time sack leader Patrick Johnson will also be featured. And there are two players from the University of Southern Mississippi. They're just another part of that uh, legacy of Southern Miss football, and uh, we're proud that they're they're playing, and uh, we'll have to root for them this weekend. That's John Cox, longtime football announcer for the University of Southern Mississippi. And so I think uh, what they've done is prove that it doesn't matter where you go to school, it doesn't matter uh, you know what size the school or what kind of team. If you if you want it bad enough, I think that you can do whatever it takes to to make that next step and get into pro football. Some of Mississippi's hometown heroes didn't choose a school in the state. Residents of Horn Lake in North Mississippi will have to choose between two local linebackers playing on opposing teams. One of them, Nakobe Dean, has a reputation for leadership and being a good teammate. I know for me, like I said, I had him when he was a freshman. And when we, when he was a freshman, the team was not that great at that time. Assistant Principal Jana Thompson remembers the championship run that the high school went on with Dean and how far the squad came since his freshman year. He would kind of comment like, yeah, we're going to win us the state championship too. And it went into fruition by his senior year. And I know one thing that I was always kind of taken aback about was the fact that whenever they made that run, they were undefeated. So for him to remain undefeated, be a leader, once again, I I think it speaks volumes of his leadership and what kind of kid and what kind of talent and, and what he did with that team. Back at Brandon High School, Rogers says all of the players with ties to the state have the opportunity to bring joy and pride to Mississippians this Sunday. It's something that gives kids from especially places in rural Mississippi that they can say, hey, so-and-so from Houston, Mississippi or Oklahoma, you know, made it, and maybe I have a shot, you know. It's a chance to dream, and everybody wants to dream. Kickoff is at 5.30 Central Time. Even if you're not rooting for the teams, you can root for the region. For the Gulf States Newsroom, I'm Lacey Alexander. That's going to be exciting. The Gulf States Newsroom is a collaboration between Mississippi Public Broadcasting and public media stations in Alabama and Louisiana. Coming up, a new documentary on the integration of Provine High School in Jackson. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. From children's education to gripping drama, documentaries to comedy, MPB Television brings the world to Mississippi. With local stories, cooking, health, and music, MPB Television takes Mississippi to the world. When you look at your vehicle, think of MPB. Need to get rid of your ride? Donate it by calling 877-MPB-4CAR. Need to have some work done on your truck? Listen to AutoCorrect Thursdays at 10, Saturdays at 11. An MPB license plate reminds you that MPB is with you wherever you go. Go to your county office and ask for an MPB car tag. MPB and cars, better together. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. I'm Desiree Frazier. 
Ashley Gibson's father is a doctor, but when she recently discovered he was only one of 11 black students to integrate Provine High School nearly 60 years ago, she decided to uncover more of the story. This Sunday, the two Mississippi museums will host a screening of The Fearless 11, followed by a Q&A session with filmmaker Ashley Gibson. We spoke with her about making the film and the personal stories it reflects. My dad is actually one of the students that integrated Provine. So when I found out that, you know, he was one of the first students, a part of the first students that integrated the school, I was just surprised that no one actually told their story. Like so many people were just weren't even familiar that at one time Provine was a, a all white school. And I just was, I thought that their story was worth telling, you know, because there's so many like untold stories. What did you think? When you first heard that your dad was part of this initial class, because this was dangerous, mm-hmm. I was shocked because you know, you know, especially growing up and learning history about, you know, you hear about MLK, Malcolm X, but just like having people in, in your family that's a part of this. So I just was so shocked. I had so many questions. I said, "How did they treat you? Were you scared?" Because, you know, in the 60s, it was dangerous. There was a lot going on, a lot of civil rights murdered. So I just had so many questions. I just wanted to know everything, all the details, how did the first day of school go. So I just said, this needs to be a movie, a documentary. There were 11 people. Are they all still living? No, um, four have passed, but the others, they are still living. But four of them have passed out out of the 11. Were you able to talk to them all, or did you pick out a couple? I was able to talk to all that were living, except for one. I just wasn't able to get in touch with her. I was able to locate where she was living, but I just couldn't get in touch with family members or anyone that was able to, um, you know, to, that I can get a, have a conversation with her. So I wasn't able to reach her. I know there were people who were outraged by this, white crowds, men, women, and children, who were hollering and threatening. What did they share with you about that first day that kind of made your hair stand on end? Well, I know Miss McLaurin, she's one of the um, 11. Just hearing how they, you know, were getting, like, spit on, you know, it's like such a form of disrespect, but just, you know, and even, like, some of the adults were involved, you know, parents, teachers didn't want them there. So just that part of it, you know, getting spit on, called names, um, being isolated from each other, that made it even more dangerous because they weren't able to be together. They had to be separate. And they volunteered for this. They didn't have to go to Provine, but they did it. Why? Why did your dad do it? And he's a medical doctor, Dr. Don Gibson. Yeah, he's a doctor. He was actually, he was telling me he was very active, like, um, in the NAACP. So they were, a lot of the leaders were encouraging the students to to be the first to integrate, just to take a stand. So he was just really active in the movement, and he wanted to do it just to kind of, you know, make change, start um, the change process in Jackson. And in some of them, it wasn't even just um, that significant as far as, like, trying to make, you know, be a change agent. They just, like, I know... (laughs) Mr. McLaurin, he actually went because of Hazel. They actually got married, so he followed her. It was more like because he had a crush on her, so it wasn't even a re- it wasn't even a um, a serious reason for him to go. He wanted to go because she went. So I thought that was funny. What did you really want to focus on and get across? 
Well, like I said, the main thing, I just wanted to let people know who they were. You know, there was a time when Provine was just all white, and I wanted people to see that they stood up and they made a change during this time where it was a lot, it was dangerous. So I really just wanted their, their story to be told, one untold story to just, you know, shed light and highlight it. How did their parents take it? They were nervous. I, I even asked my dad, like, how did my grandma react? And he said, you know, he, they were just a little fearful for their safety, but they let them go. I know some of them were, um, their parents were kind of active, too, in the civil rights era. So they were encouraging them. But some, they were nervous because they knew what could take place. Did they describe how that year went? Uh, studying, having teachers that didn't want them there, the atmosphere, how the kids treated them overall? Yeah, it was a lot of tension. I know um, even like with the teachers, you know, a lot of the teachers tried to fail them. Some of them actually didn't weren't able to graduate like within that year because the teachers failed them. I know Miss McLaurin, she gave a story and she said that she made A's on all of her uh, her her assignments, but she still failed. So it's just like even having the teachers, you know, um, discriminate against you and treat you wrong. So there was an issue being failed by the teachers. Even they weren't allowed to get their class rings. They weren't allowed to take part in activities. You know, like your senior year, you have prom, and they weren't, they actually, it happened, but they weren't told about it. So a lot of things were hidden from them. So they were definitely very much, like, isolated during that period. Well, thank you so much for making this information available. And it's a documentary that we can definitely appreciate and learn from. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for speaking with us, Ashley Gibson. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for talking to me. This has been Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.